0: Hello, here we are. I'm Dick Foth with my friend Kirk Noonan, and it's March the 18th, 2020, and we're having a conversation in these next couple of podcasts uh, about two things. One is about life in particular at this moment, as uh, in our culture that's been affected by a pandemic, and then life in general. because. I'm getting old and I I asked Kirk if he would respond to that and I'll explain that just a little bit later. But for starters, Kirk, thanks for being with me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Kirk, you are the... Give
1: me your title. So I'm the Chief Innovation Officer for Convoy of Hope. Okay. And right now, uh, we're sitting in uh, the Innovation Lab for Convoy of Hope, which is located on the Otterbox campus in Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. And Convoy of Hope does what around the world? Just give so, us the three or four things. Yeah, we feed children, over 300,000 children, respond to disasters such as the coronavirus. Uh, we do women's empowerment, we do ag programs, uh, we do community events. The whole goal is to give people help and hope during desperate times.
0: Okay, well then you're perfect for this moment. Well, there we go. <laughs> and usually I'm the guy asking the questions, and uh, in these two podcasts, this one today, and then one that will be released in a few days, um, I'm going to turn the tables and say, why don't you ask the questions? And sure. we'll just have a conversation Absolutely. and go from there. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about these times, all the stuff going on. Yeah.
1: You go, you're on. So, I mean, just one thing, just coming in here this morning, you know, Fort Collins isn't New York. Yeah but it is busy around here, especially in downtown. And uh, you noticed, I noticed when we walked in here today, you could hear the birds chirping, you could hear the squirrels jumping from limb to limb. You open up the screen door to the lab, you can hear it creaking all the way. Uh, it's a ghost town here in Fort Collins and in cities and towns around America. I mean, where do you, like, when you see that, have you experienced anything like that
0: in your life? Like, what do you think the impact is right now? Yeah, I was, um, I was on the phone yesterday to a university president in Southern California, because I was supposed to be there for the commencement, and of course it's canceled, but he said he was driving up either I-5 or the 40, as they say in Southern California the 405, And he said he was going 75 miles an hour at eight o'clock in the morning, which you never do in Los Angeles or Orange County at that time. I think the closest that I could come to the feeling of, boy, things have changed, would be the evening of 9-11. I was a mile north of the Pentagon at 9.30 or 9.40 in the morning when that plane hit the Pentagon, after New York and after Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And the sound is that you, you hear sirens much of that morning. But by evening time, there were candles on the porches, street after street, people had put candles out. And if you drove around, which I, which I had to do in the next day or two, hanging from every overpass were flags and signs that said, God bless America there wasn't much traffic because they'd asked us to stay home because they didn't know if there'd be another attack, but it had the same feeling, but it was just a moment in time. It was just a few days really. And now we are multiple weeks into the spread of the Corona virus, the identification of it. But in, in my lifetime, I would say that would be the moment that was closest to this. So, The, you know, with
1: everything that's bad that has happened and we've seen over time and everybody's seen it in their own lives, good prevails at some point. Yeah. What are you seeing? Like, where do you, like, right now we're in the midst of this and everybody's freaked out. um, Anxious, yeah. Anxious. Some people are feeling just despair and some people are. Defiant too. I mean, there's everybody has different uh, Reactions to Mm the situation, but you know, and the thing that's going around right now is hey, we're gonna get through this right and From my experience, I think that's true Right. But from where you sit and from what you've seen over your years here on earth Mm -hmm. When do you think it starts to turn and then what good do you think is gonna come out of this?
0: You know when a couple, three things, I think. One is it's very interesting to see what's happening generationally at this juncture. Here is a young generation that's never seen anything like this, even a couple of generations. Never felt the pressure uh, or the seriousness of these kinds of moments, except for young men and women who have gone off to war in Iraq or, or Afghanistan or were in, involved in some calamity somewhere. But the thing I keep hearing is that young people are stepping up and saying, what can we do to help uh, senior citizens? Can we get them groceries? Can we do that sort of thing? So that's that's a really positive kind of thing. The second thing is that when you have a catastrophe or a calamity of some kind, almost without exception, you will see people take a step back or two to say, what's the larger picture? Depending on where people are theologically, they'll say, well, where is God in all this? How could he, some people say, how can he let this happen? Other people say this is judgment for whomever did what. But the truth is we are a fallen planet, we're a fallen people, and these kinds of things you see over and over again throughout history. And I think what, What I've appreciated is that you hear certain voices that are saying, let's take a larger look at where our focus needs to be. We need to do the things that are important to the moment, whether it's sheltering in place or quarantining or not traveling, those are the tactical matters. But strategically, where does my hope lie? And I just think that question, where does my hope lie, is the Key question: My friend Bob Goff, who's written some couple of terrific books and is very popular, he's iconic for an older. He's not as old as I am, but 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 among younger folks, he's iconic. And uh, when when nine eleven happened, they didn't have a television at their house in San Diego because he didn't want Talking Heads telling his kids what to think about stuff. And I think their children were 11, nine, and seven, and I'll make this story short if I can. And so they had a family meeting and said, so this terrible thing has happened in New York City and in Washington, and um, the whole world is involved. What can we do t- to help them as a family? What could we do? And one of them said, well, why don't we write the leaders of all the nations to see see if they'd come over for dinner? And so, he said, okay. And then one, other, one of the other kids said, um, well, I'd like to video that. And if they can't come for dinner, maybe we could go to their house for dinner. And the older, the girl, I think, who was oldest, was in a video class. She said, I'd like to video this. And the, the middle one, I think, who was more pastoral, said, and I want to ask the leaders, where do you place your hope? Long story short, they ended up downloading all of these addresses of prime ministers and so forth around, and they sent letters to all of them. They ended up going to see 26 of these folks around the world, and they would invite them in for dinner. They'd video it. I mean, it's this incredible thing, but I think the question the young boy asked is, where does your hope lie is at the heart of this? And I think maybe the best thing to be able to come out of this and quite apart from the tragedy of deaths and all of that, which is something that we need to be very concerned for. I think that's where it lands for me. So, you know, like LeBron James, you know, it's been a
1: tough year for like sports. Sure. And he was quoted as saying, this isn't verbatim, but he said, hey, 2020, like, let's just redo it or forget it. And I think that's a sentiment that a lot of people have, like right now. Sure. But one thing that i've seen is you know all last year the past three years like all the political stuff that's going on like it's it's gone it's so bitter right and now all of a sudden we everybody has like a common enemy that they can all agree on right that corona is the enemy and all this energy now is going towards fighting this enemy and it, i think it's kind of lessened the the talk on the political side, I see that as being like a pretty cool thing that's yes. happening. Yep. But then it's almost like going back to like the 70s, like when I was growing up, like our kids, like we've been taking family walks. We've been uh, playing Monopoly and other board games <laughs> and less time on the phone, less screen time. <laughs> yeah. And I've been talking to a bunch of colleagues, you know, around the yeah. states and they're like, this has actually been really a really good reset moment for mm-hmm. me and my career and how much time I'm spending with work. People are saying that about the market, yeah. uh, the housing market, financial. Right. You look at the church. There's been huge changes that are happening within the church. Right. When you look at all of these possible reset moments, where does that take you?
0: The, your, your point about playing Monopoly with your kids, we have uh, three teenage grandchildren living at our house with their parents because they're building a house right now. And yesterday, Ruth and I played uh, trivial pursuit with two of the kids. The problem is we have an old trivial pursuit game, so all of the questions <laughs> you get are it. about seventies and eighties, and they have no clue. So we're given extra clues. So, so today I think we're going to dominoes. But I think your phrase "a reset moment" is really insightful, because at various times in our life, usually out of pain whether it's physical illness or family loss or whatever, we reset, we rethink things. In this case, sort of the whole world is resetting. And I think that's a positive. I think to understand that God in his compassion, and and that sounds crazy if you have people dying, but I mean, in the the larger sense of things, uh, allows us chances to reset and to rethink who we are, why we're here, how we think about other people, how we think about circumstances. That's a huge thing. I think one of the most interesting things for me, I'm having to reset how I think about social media. I'm, I'm okay with social media. I'm, I'm okay with texting, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I talk to a lot of university students, so I better be okay with it. Yeah. But I think, it's, I think it's got a huge downside for all the reasons that we've talked about, and heard about. But the upside is, Usually in times of tragedy and huge pain, one of the resolving factors, one of the healing factors is people can get together. All of a sudden, you have a tragedy where people can't get together. Social distance is an oxymoron. I mean, social means we're doing that. Distance is you're out there. Yeah. And so texting and FaceTiming and Skyping all of a sudden technology comes into play, I think, in a much more positive way to allow us to do some things we might not otherwise have seen. I don't think it's as good as certainly getting together, but at least we're not bereft. At least we're not totally in the dark. And I see that as a very um, positive thing. I think how we, going forward, we won't be able to do certain things in the same, Way, and that's I think probably a good
1: thing. Yeah, with the with the social media, like the screen time, like I've just noticed with my kids, like where it was more um, centered on them. Now they're using it to communicate Georgia. with their friends. Yeah. So that's been cool. I even did a little post on my little Instagram. I took a picture of a phone and an iPad and I said, weren't these doing a a good enough job creating social distance between people? (laughs) That's a good line. That's a great line. So, but I look at that, you're a history buff. Yes. What are some things from the past that you look at and you can compare them to what's going on now? and what we can learn and like maybe some lessons that from maybe an event back, way back when, Mm -hmm. um, that is applicable to today and what we're going through.
0: I was, uh, I had a birthday yesterday. I'm a St. Patrick's Day boy. So I was born three months after Pearl Harbor in March of 1942. That was the month when the Bataan Death March started. We were, totally caught off guard or unprepared for what happened at Pearl Harbor back in the day. And as a nation uh, under arms, we were totally underprepared, if you will, because of World War I, we became pacifistic. And I understand all that, or at least I acknowledge that. And so, you know, we were the 19th largest army in the world and all that's uh, right after Portugal and all of that. And we were fighting an enemy that we could see, but we didn't know how they would do what they were going to do. That's true in any war, but this was particularly true. And I think that point is, okay, maybe we weren't as prepared as we might have been, I don't know, uh, for this, but number one, how quickly can we ramp up? Because within two years of that, and again, this is a metaphor. But within two years of my birth, if you will, uh, we had three million men under arms. By the, within two years, the U.S. was out producing all of the allies, all of the Axis powers, Germany and Italy and, and Japan by far, because we had the capacity and the will and all of that. So I think the metaphor for even when you're not prepared, how do you go about ramping up? I think that's one piece. I think the more significant piece for me might have been in the late 60s and the early 70s, like 68 to spring of 70, during the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement. 1968, most historians would say, was the most terrible year in U.S. history, apart from war in the largest sense. Within two months, you had two leaders assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. in April, Bobby Kennedy in, in June, A sitting president challenged by his own party, and Bobby Kennedy stepped down. You had riots at the Democratic National Convention. All this stuff was going on. In nineteen seventy, you had the Kent State shootings, you had the SDS Weatherman blowing up a chemistry building at the University of Wisconsin. And I lived in in Urbana, Illinois, University of Illinois, and we had 5,000 National Guardsmen on campus with bayoneted rifles. They trapped 2,000 students in campus town when they were riding, and they broke every window in campus. And all of this stuff was going on, and we had a curfew at eight o'clock. State patrol would patrol the streets. We thought it was the end of the world. And the fear level was just doing this, And I think the thing that speaks to me the most is, and and Roosevelt said this the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the only thing we have to really fear is fear itself. I don't know if it's the only thing, but it's the big one. You know, I I don't know about where it's spreading, where where the virus is spreading around the world and how fast, but if the fear virus spreads in the five and a half inches between my ears, we have nowhere to go. And that's where by speaking to God and speaking to each other, it damps that down. It resets us in terms of where does our ultimate hope lie? And I think we need to go there. I think we really need, um, you can't just say, well, don't be afraid. I mean, God did like 70 times in the scriptures, but I'm not God. But I'm saying if he said it, then probably we need to listen up. Anyway, I I think that's the big one for me. And it was most real to me when I was, a 30 year old or a 27 year old with little kids in Urbana, Illinois, back during those years, the late sixties and early seventies.
1: So on that note, I've had people just ask me who, you know, they could be anywhere on the faith spectrum. Sure. And they're, they're saying, um, some of them are saying, which you mentioned earlier is why would God allow this? Right. Others are saying God's orchestrating this to punish, uh, America and the world for its sins. Other people are saying, there's no God, right. you know, it's just, it's just, You have all the different camps. When you look at it and like looking towards God, what do you say to those people who are like, hey, I'm just going to point the finger at God um, and say, this is your fault or you're punishing us. I mean, theologically, like where do you land on all of those bigger, deeper questions?
0: you have an easier question? (laughs) I
1: I just need help explaining this to people.
0: I think my question is, well, why would you say that? Why would you say that God is punishing? I mean, does he have a reason? I mean, you know, where are we going with that? Yeah. I think I read something this morning that helps me with that concept. And something to mediate whatever the feelings are from a friend of mine Steve Moore who's been lives in Minneapolis or St Paul but he he's worked in DC since 1977 and he's very insightful he's a writer and perhaps I could just read part of this as a response to your sure. to your question because I think oftentimes we can't answer the imponderables but I do need to say well, even if I can't figure it out, I need to figure me out in relationship to God. If there is one, and I, lo- I love what A.W. Tozer, the preacher of the last century said, when he said, whatever comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Mm-hmm. And so I have to say, what, is the, what does the God, if I believe there is one, what does that God look like? How have I seen him act? And for me, that's in the scriptures. How do I do that? And this is a fella who went through it. This is a guy named Jeremiah who wrote a writing in the Old Testament called Lamentations. And Steve is reflecting on that. This is, this is Lamentations 3. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Steve Moore then goes on to reflect this way. I know this is true, and it better be. The world of sin has always been full of things to be downcast about. Poverty, war, rejection, alienation, as well as disease and death. On top of all that is the fear and anxiety they produce. Jeremiah, the author of this, lived in such times when Israel was falling apart and invaders lurked on their borders. So he just has these comments. One, be honest about how I'm feeling. This is a response to, okay, you know, what's going on here. Bitterness and gall and being downcast are part of the human condition. Two, crazy as it seems, affirm that there is such a thing as hope and try to call it to mind and hold it. I have a choice about what I think about. Number three, think clearly and courageously about who God is. God is love and nothing that happens should be allowed to touch that truth. Number four, as a matter of fact, God makes the world work backwards. Entropy says everything from bodies to galaxies, wear down and fall apart. But my God has compassions that are new every morning. I love that part. As you get older, you want to know about what's new every morning, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then great is your faithfulness. Even though my planet and my body, my society, my science and my politics disappoint, God is eternally reliable. I should never be surprised by the failure of all the idols. I should never have trusted in the first place. In a time like this, as Tim Keller writes, and Tim being Pastor Emeritus at, uh, I think, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, great writer, I need to take the resources of heart and mind that I've devoted to idols which I see are failing and reinvest them in my relationship and obedience to God and wait quietly, not fearfully or anxious, but hopefully for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, I love what he says there, and I think that's sort of the big picture.
1: Yeah, and like the thing that jumps out to me is the hope part because yeah. panic and hysteria, they're not sustainable. No. It's impossible to sustain that. Yeah, But hope is sustainable, Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from the outflow of our lives rather than what comes into
0: our lives and a explain, lot of that. explain that what you just said
1: so if you're if you're looking at your life and all you're doing is inflow and everything is about you and um, it's like success success yeah. um, happens to you right. significance happens through you mm. and so and i think if you're on that channel on a significant channel mm-hmm. you can be spreading hope and th- you can become more significant by pushing out more hope to people. Mm. So on the success side, it's, you know, it's great. There's successful people, that's great right. stuff. Um, but that's what's happening to you. I think it's more important, especially during these times, is what's happening through you. Are you are you spreading panic? Are you spreading hysteria? Are you keeping people in fear or are you bringing hope to them, hope and life? And I think that's where there's a huge difference between the two and, I, and I'm choosing to try to live on this side. Sure. You know, I'm like, be significant, give hope. Um, Convoy of Hope, we're trying to do the same thing. Sure. We're, we're getting trucks ready to send them out to churches all throughout the nation to where they can start serving their communities. Sure. You mentioned your friends at your church who are the young kids, young the millennials are looking for ways and to the, help the seniors. And the Gen Z's and whatever those gens are. Yeah. yeah. So. I guess in closing, like what would be like your uh, your inspirational end, bringing this thing in for a landing? <laughs> what would be like the the words of wisdom and your grandfatherly voice that would just really get people pumped up and go, "Hey, I can go to bed tonight and sleep and know that tomorrow is a new day, and I'm looking forward to the new day."
0: Well, I think you're not a grandpa, but you had that voice right there. there that, we, was, that was there. A, we go. <laughs> I think. I think. Um, that some people will say well you guys who are just talking about hope that's just unrealistic and what i would say is that if there's a real god and there then hope is real that's the most real thing there is going because everything we see around us is going up in smoke at some point it's just, this body's going to fall off the planet's going to go we know that we already heard it said uh, by steve moore but i think i think the words of paul in Philippians, the last chapter. Capture it because he gives a, um, a plan for how to make sure you have hope. And this is his plan. This is a letter to a people in a town and the town is no longer there in Macedonia, northern Greece. It's the town of Philippi. And this is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And I I would take that in two ways. One, he's near, he's present, but his coming is near as well. Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, You know, insert whatever you want. Don't be anxious about relationships. Don't be anxious about coronavirus. Don't be anxious. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, goes beyond all logic, Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's sitting in prison. He's got guards right there. I'm saying, you know, if you present your petitions to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, he's looking at guys with spirits and sword, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That universe in the five and a half inches between my ears. That's the big one. Yeah. Thank you, Kirk, for being with me. Thanks for doing this podcast.
1: Hey, thanks so much. It's great to talk.
0: It's good to be together even when we're
1: six feet apart. That's right. (laughs) Social distancing. (laughs) Keep it up.